This morning, uh, as everybody knows, is Thanksgiving, and um, this wasn't actually, I just wanted to plan just a one-off sermon this morning to focus in on giving thanks to God, and I didn't really plan it to tie in with other things, but actually, as I got into it, God just keeps connecting stuff, at least for me. Um, This passage, uh, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 19, where Jesus uh, shares in the Last Supper with his disciples, and I started thinking about last week how we talked about uh, communion and this connection with with Jesus and what it does at that moment when we share uh, the bread and the cup together. And so I see God linking things together. Um, It's interesting, too, because this teaching on giving thanks is consistent throughout the New Testament, Um, especially the idea of continue giving thanks in every situation. I was thinking about this, uh, actually, I looked it up, and one of the places in Ephesians chapter 5 says, Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Especially here in verse 20, it says, Sing and make music uh, in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks uh, to God the Father in everything. Similar in Colossians. um, You don't have to read this whole thing, but the part I wanted to point out here is he says twice in this passage, be thankful. And he's talking about doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. And then also too, uh, 1 Thessalonians says, be joyful always, pray continually, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Again, this idea of giving thanks in all circumstances. Now on Thanksgiving, it's true, you might think of giving thanks as kind of like the obligatory uh, sermon that, that you'd hear, or maybe even something kind of like a morality pep talk on reasons why we should be thankful. And it's really tempting. On the one hand, you've got the New Testament that gives commands, pray and give thanks in all things. Um, and this is really tempting maybe even to, to talk about it with one another, to be thankful because we should, because God says so. Or maybe the other direction is to go kind of the, the guilt, sort of realize everything you have so that you feel um, grateful. Um, go through the list of things, you know, write things you f- are grateful for, write the list until you actually begin to feel it. This morning I'm, af- I'm actually after a rare species of gratitude. Now, this morning, I'm not really interested in the gratitude we feel. And what I mean by that is like the gratitude when you feel, when you avoid oncoming traffic, and you're like, whew, I'm so thankful to be alive. Or maybe the gratitude you feel when you get that exact gift. Maybe younger guys, you might know what I'm talking about, for Christmas, and you're like, this is perfect. This is just what I wanted. Uh, then you feel gratitude. Not even the gratitude you feel uh, when everything, like those moments, and some of you older might recognize this, and when you sit in a chair and you're just like, it is good, and I am grateful. We're not even we're after something bigger than that. I'm not after circumstantial gratitude. The gratitude we feel because of circumstances around us, uh, the gratitude that I'm after uh, is more elusive than that. This morning, I'm after gratitude that we practice, thankfulness that we keep practicing in our lives, gratitude that we cultivate in our lives, gratitude that we practice when life is good and it's easy, gratitude that we practice when life feels numb. Gratitude that we practice, especially when life is hard. Gratitude that we practice when the last thing you feel is grateful. This is the sort of gratitude, the sort of giving thanks that I'm after this morning. God has been growing gratitude in me. Um, I've been practicing gratitude kind of unintentionally at first, and it was really as more a matter of survival than it was uh, spiritual practice or anything like that. 
It was the morning of June 24th, um, 2015. And Tracy, I was actually in the bathroom taking a shower, and Tracy came and told she just got a call from a doctor saying that, that um, the tumor that they had biopsied was cancerous, that she had breast cancer. And the year after that was filled with some good stuff, but I remember that year mainly as hard things. Uh, sorrow, pain, loss, fear. And even after Tracy's surgery, the last one uh, in the spring of 2016, um, and you know, like everything is clear, no more cancer, like good news for you guys, uh, she's cured. I still uh, lived with lots of fear. Um, I was terrified afterward, actually. And I don't know, maybe some of you who have had experiences like this, uh, I pretty, it was pretty much continuous. And I don't mean that like kind of overstating it. I mean like almost literally it was continuous. I, would, I was always thinking about it, about what it might be like to live without her, or what if her cancer comes back, um, what would we do? And it was hard. Uh, and I remember we actually even went um, to get some counseling uh, because I was fearful and it was affecting other things in our lives, um, especially around the question for us of adopting. And so, um, and I realize this now as I kind of looking back, I have some perspective on it. The one is I, I tend to look at the future. I tend to live a lot in the future, some in the present, hardly ever in the past, which is interesting because some of you might think like, oh, I never really thought of that. Some of you might think mostly about the past, you think about things that have happened, good and bad, and you constantly are thinking of those things. Some of you might be slightly different. You might be more present people. Like you don't really think about the future. You don't really think about the past. You're more in the moment. You think about now. And some of you, maybe you can relate to what I, I think about the future a lot. Um, and I realize that's just kind of how I'm wired. I'm always thinking about what am I doing next? What do I need next? What do I need to prepare for to meet that moment? And so I realize, one, that I'm a future thinker. But I also realize that I, um, part of how I'm wired is I always think, I always want to make sure I have enough for the future. Tracy can tell you about this, like, especially when it comes to finances and money and stuff. Like, I'm pretty conservative because I always want to make sure we have enough, which can be pretty frustrating uh, for her at times. And I recognize that. <laughs> She's laughing. Um, and so I was realizing, too, especially this week, actually, that that future perspective and this kind of just deep-seated, not even rational, but just inherent uh, concern that I have enough or the future might not work out. It's a pretty bad combination when you're worried about things like <clears throat> cancer in your wife or your husband. Um, and so I was realizing that I had this fear, and, and it really um, was difficult, and it kind of messed me up for a while. But a few years ago, uh, like I mentioned, from help with a, from a counselor and really from the Holy Spirit, um, began to retrain my thoughts, how I thought about the future. Because um, I would hear the lies on tape, you know, like, I mean, I didn't listen to the part that were, uh, for many, like you know Dr. Malpass, he's our internist here in our community, saying, like he said, I think it was like in five years, that she will still be alive is like 90%. And in 10 years, it's like a little bit lower. Uh, it's like, actually, it's like mid-90s, and it's like maybe like 93% that she'll be alive in 10 years. I never, like, I, I hold on to that tightly. <laughs> but often, and like naturally, I wouldn't think about that stuff. I tend to think like, what would it be like without her? Um, and I realized that I had this fear, 
And and talking with um, with the council in our community and just praying some and changing the way I thought. So I began, every time I had that fear, I began giving thanks. And I know it sounds kind of Christian-y, you know, well, that's because you're the pastor and, you know, you're supposed to do that sort of stuff. But it, it wasn't um, a spiritual thing for me. <laughs> it was survival. It was, I am not doing well and I need help. And I started thinking the truth about things, telling myself the truth about her survival probabilities were high in the 90s, or in the, in the 90s. Um, and not only that, but the things that God had spoken to me through that year, trusting him, and then giving thanks. It's interesting because it has sort of, in many ways, it's helped me shift my focus out of the future so much. I mean, I still think a lot about the future. It's just how I am. But also spending more time giving thanks in the present moment. And um, it's hard for me to even put into words how that has changed things for me. To where, I mean, I might say it out loud maybe 20% of the time, but the times where I'm looking um, at my family or we're in the midst of doing something really fun and I'm giving thanks. Because I'm, I'm one of those people, I'm thinking like, things are so good right now, I don't want, I don't want to lose this. That's like kind of my future thinking. Like I, this is so good right now in the future, I'm, it could only get worse from here because <laughs> it's so good. And I stop thinking like that or I try to not think like that. I avoid thinking like that and think, God, I am so grateful for this moment right here. This moment, how good it is in this moment. And, it's, and it helps, too, in the opposite when things are pretty crappy, when I'm frustrated and I'm yelling at the kids, or actually, I would never do that. Um, when people I know who yell at kids, kids are frustrating them, and um, to take a moment and also give thanks. Like, I am so grateful that they're here, and they're driving me crazy. To give thanks, even when things are hard, to keep me thankful, and present in that moment. This last week, I've been reading uh, Ann Boskamp's um, A Thousand Gifts. And for those of you who know this book, it's, it's 10 years old. And some of you are probably thinking, like, Jason, where have you been? <laughs> like, that book is, like, I read that years ago, and, like, like you need to catch up. Um, but it's interesting because Ann uncovers this uh, thankful way. And I'm just going to call her Ann like I know her, like she just lives down the road. But... Um, she wonders, like, and she talks some about her story, about some of the things, the difficult things, the hard things that she's been through. Um, and in her book, she talks about uh, seeing her sister get uh, run over by a truck um, and just how that affected her family, her whole family, for the rest of her life. Um, and she, but she talks about this idea, this thankful way, um, this way of giving thanks. And... She begins to wonder, like, she's reflecting on it, and she's, you know, she's already a Christian, but she's kind of, she described, like, it's kind of like a head, like a theology Christian. Like, she, she knew God was good, and that God loved her, and she could tell you that, you know, she could fill in all the Sunday school answers, but she was having difficulty um, believing it uh, or feeling it. And so she's thinking about gratitude and grace, and she begins looking at it and studying it through Scripture. She begins to wonder, like, maybe this, she just has this inclining that this just might be the secret 
she refers to it as like, this just might be the holy grail. The secret to not just life where you get through by day by day, but actually life more full. Life where filled with even, she dared to say, even some joy. She was wondering, what if giving thanks was the way to set down the hurt that she felt, the loss that she felt from her sister, and just things that didn't work out uh, in her life in general, the disillusionment, you know, like kind of that feeling that sometimes we as Christians have of like, I know God is good. I know God loves me. I know God loved me so much that he sent his son who died for me to work out, to give me a way beyond sin back to him. I, I know this. But there have some, been some huge losses in my life. And I say the words I know God is good, but there are sometimes I don't believe it. This disillusionment that we sometimes feel. She starts to wonder if maybe giving thanks is the way through that. If thankfulness, and it's just an experiment for her, it's just a, just a thought, like a flash, is that maybe giving thanks is the practice or the thing we do that moves this theology about who God is and his goodness from our head to our heart. From knowledge and belief, I'm sorry, from knowledge to belief, that we actually believe it. And I suspect most of you came this morning and you're thinking, oh, it's Thanksgiving, I can't wait for the dinner, and, or, man, I can't wait all the dinner and the people and the, all the stuff I've got to do still. Maybe some of you came this morning, you didn't have any expectation at all. You're, or maybe if you did, it's like a Hallmark sermon, you know, kind of something you think like, oh, Jason read this on a Thanksgiving card somewhere and he turned it into a sermon, you know, be thankful, it's good to be thankful. Um, or five reasons why you should be thankful, you know, like those sort of sermons. Um, or maybe you strolled in this morning and you had your mind totally on other things and you're fine to sit and listen so that you can go get to them later. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're mentally prepping uh, for dinner, either gearing up for the emotional part of dinner um, or you're gearing up um, uh, for maybe just like you're thinking to yourself like, oh, I only have one dozen rolls and everybody loves my rolls, so I need another dozen, but then half my family's gluten-free and the other don't eat butter. And, you know, like you're kind of thinking along those lines. Um, or maybe you're just here hoping this morning to hear something good. And maybe you're here this morning and you're barely hanging on. And what if, what if gratitude, <laughs> gratitude, or giving thanks what if it really was the way to life more full? Not just life more full someday, but life more full here and now, in this moment, in this place. That was one of Anne's reflections, is that oftentimes people think of gratitude, oh, if I could just go there and do that, if I could go to that beautiful, warm, sunny place, if I, then I, you know, and she talks about, you know, a hundred places you have to see before you die. And she begins to wonder, you know, she says, like, you know, in her mind, she's thinking, I'm, I'm a farmer's wife. You know, here in, in prairies of, of Canada, I think it's Manitoba. And like, what if I'm never going to get to those places and never see those amazing things? Like, can I still have joy? Can I still have life more full? Even if it's just here in this place. What if gratitude um, made even hard lives good? Not easy, 
but good? What if this practice of saying thank you for things, like saying thank you for uh, this church family, or saying thankful, or saying thank you for crisp October mornings, what if that practice um, kind of drew the goodness, cultivated the goodness of life? What if gratitude, and, and not the feeling of it, not the feeling of, wow, I feel so grateful. You know, somebody gave me a wonderful present, I'm so grateful. But what if the gratitude that kind of lower, that, that gratitude that sustains, that gratitude that doesn't come from the circumstances but wells up in us, what if it was actually just a long, faithful practice? And what if it, was, if it really was the Holy Grail? the way to get to life more full. This life that Jesus promised when he said, I come to give life and life more full. In her book, uh, A Thousand Gifts, Anne talks about how she hunts the scriptures, looking for, the Greek word is eucharisto, um, meaning to give thanks. Um, She said she started hunting scriptures for it, and she found it all over the place. Um, Old Testament, New Testament. She starts, when she starts kind of piecing together and looking for this particular idea, this particular word, she sees it throughout Scripture. But it was where she um, found it in the Last Supper in Luke uh, chapter 29. Uh, we'll look at it here in just a minute. Where she finds it there that grabbed me and just some of her reflections on it. So listen to this. <clears throat> I invite you not to read it in your bulletin right now but to just listen to the words. So, uh, Luke tells us, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it, to them, gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began, the disciples began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. So here's this passage. You don't have to worry too much about reading it. There's a couple things that I wanted to point out. So this is the Last Supper. This is Jesus. This is the night that he's betrayed. I want to point this out. That first, uh, the hour came, and as they were reclining at the table, Jesus knows that he's about to suffer. He says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus knows what's coming. And I have a hunch, too, as, as a son of God who is fully human, he has this general sense, but also as a son of God who is fully God, he has this in-depth, like this foreknowledge of what he needs to do, of what it will look like, how excruciating it will be, how difficult, how shameful. The pain of not only the physical pain, the emotional pain, separation from his father, the emotional pain of having people that he loved abandon him, not understand who he is, of people that he loves reject him, people that he loves and wants them to have this life more full. All of these things 
knowing that he's going to suffer this. Not only that, it says, but the hand of him who's going to betray me is with, mine at, with me or with mine at the table. So not only does he know what's coming for him, he knows that he's sharing this meal with someone who he has lived with for the last three years and taught and loved and hoped would carry on the church. He knows that one of them there is going to betray him. He knows who it is. I mean, any one of these things would be enough to, to strip the gratitude out of a meal like this, to make it unbearable, to maybe even think, well, you know what, I've just got too much. I can't, I need to be alone. I can't eat this meal with you guys. Imagine if Jesus had done that, if there was no communion, if there was no Last Supper, if he said, I just need to go pray. I know what's coming and I can't be grateful right now. But he doesn't. It's actually in the middle here. Twice it says that Jesus gave thanks. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus sees this. And I've, I think this is interesting for me because... I've always read this, and I kind of just assume that Jesus is giving thanks at the meal, like sometimes I do, maybe even more often like I do, or it's something I do out of habit, maybe even a little bit of obligation, or we give thanks because we know we should, or we give thanks because that's just what we do. And we say the words almost on autopilot maybe not savoring every syllable of it, Lord, thank you for this food and what it represents in terms of your provision, in terms of your care for me in this life. I assumed it was maybe obligatory like mine. But I was thinking about it. What if this wasn't habit? It was just genuine. Just welled up in him and came out. Then I started thinking, well, no, actually, the, the, the Passover meal had parts that you said. You know, so the Thanksgiving was probably part of the meal, like almost part of the ceremony of the Last Supper, or sorry, of the, of the Passover feast. That there's certain, like, you, there's certain cups you take, there's certain foods you eat, and there's certain things you say, and part of it is this giving thanks. So I was thinking, well, maybe it was just what you do. Maybe it was just part of the procedure. But then I started wondering, what if actually the habit of it made it more genuine? Thinking like how we share communion. You know, if you're not thinking about it, communion can just, is just what we do. We take the bread, we take the cup, and we say thank you. And if you're in that, if you're paying attention to what's happening, if you're paying attention to what's going on inside of you and what's going on around us, that meal uh, becomes powerful so powerful that you could do it every Sunday and be moved to tears by it. But I wonder if maybe the habit of the Passover meal and the thanks that he gave through it actually draws out, actually gives a place for him to say thank you genuinely. Now I begin to wonder too, him knowing that this is his last meal, his last Passover, if he's actually savoring every syllable 
of that giving thanks. He's savoring every moment of it. The words that he's speaking, the meaning that they have. Lord God, we give you thanks. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, creator of heaven and earth. That Jesus is savoring every syllable of it, knowing what's coming. Just like he savors the taste and the texture of the bread, the taste and the texture of the wine. And he's giving thanks for it, knowing what's coming. This morning, we have Jesus giving thanks right in the middle of struggle, right in the middle of knowing what's coming next. And yet he gives thanks. This morning, or this Thanksgiving, I want us to give thanks, to savor uh, the gratitude, because it's easy to take it for granted, even on a day that's called Thanksgiving. I mean, I think about it like, you know, the, the cooking, the traveling, the family routines, the family traditions. But what if those traditions, those habits, could give us the context to make Thanksgiving even more genuine? The things that, you know, well, this is what our family does. <laughs> um, maybe we're giving thanks for it because it's what our family does mindful of the things that are easy to take for granted. Instead of giving thanks because we know we should on Thanksgiving, we're trying to set that aside and purposefully, mindfully give thanks to God today. Not just when we feel grateful, but practicing the giving of thanks. Beyond just today. To cultivate gratitude, or Eucharisto in the Greek. As I mentioned, Anne kept calling it the Holy Grail, the secret to life more full, life lived with joy. And it occurred to me this morning that whether you're a Christian or not, giving thanks is good. Whether you believe Jesus died and rose again and you put your faith in him or not, giving thanks is a good practice. But then I also started thinking too, like what, is, what makes this different than any other sort of self-help thing? You know, is, is giving thanks just good advice? I think there is that. But I think too, because of our faith in Jesus, giving thanks is not just foolish sentimentality. It's not just, you know, give thanks in all things um, to delude ourselves. But I think actually because we have this faith in Jesus, because we believe in who he is and what he's done, that giving thanks, even in the middle of hard things, isn't foolish anymore. Ultimately, Christ has given us life eternal. Ultimately, he has overcome death. So the things that are painful and hard, it doesn't mean that he makes them easy, but ultimately there is good at the end. There is good in the middle because of him. That he has changed things. That we're not just giving grace hoping it makes us, or giving thanks hoping it makes us feel better. We're actually giving thanks. And it matters. It changes things because of who Jesus is. 
and in her book kept calling it the Holy Grail, the secret to life more full, life lived with joy. And I am beginning to see what she's talking about, how giving thanks renews our relationship with God. Giving thanks for what he's done, giving thanks for him, even in the tiniest things like crispy um, mud puddles that freeze and they crunch in that perfect way when you step on them in the fall. Giving God thanks for things like that. How that begins to change our relationship with God. Begins to reconcile us to him, especially if we feel like God has let us down. That there have been huge losses that get us wondering if God is good and why is there pain. Or if God is all-powerful and he's good, how do bad things still happen? The giving thanks doesn't answer that question, but it does give us a way through it. How giving thanks can change our relationship with people around us. I think about my relationship with Tracy and how it's changed since she has overcome uh, cancer. How I still take her for granted. (laughs) I'm sorry. But not like I used to. How (laughs) this morning, uh, even, I mean, I I wake up earlier on Sunday mornings to do some final work on my sermon. and, And this morning, everybody slept in a little bit longer. And coming upstairs, and Tracy was still in bed and just, like her arm laying across the bed and just uh, the smell of her arm. (laughs) Not her armpit, just her arm. (laughs) How I am grateful for those moments. And I don't take them for granted. At least not as much as I used to. How it changes my relationship with her. And we still fight. (laughs) We still have disagreements. But I'm also, right, right. But how I can see even mundane things and be grateful for them. Even things that I don't even say out loud. It might be sort of awkward. You're like, well, that's a weird thing to be thankful for. But I am still grateful for it. How this can reconcile us with our spouse, with friends, with neighbors, with people in our church family. Maybe they do things differently or maybe even in your mind they do it wrong, but we can still give thanks for them and how it can hold us together. It can even change our connection with the place we live. You know, I I don't have the same problem. I I love it here. I just naturally love it here, and so it's easy for me to give thanks. But I know some of you, especially those of you who've come from the prairies, like this place can feel kind of closed in and you know especially the winter coming the valley it's like closed in and then it's like the lid somebody put the lid on top in the clouds and it's just like they just keep coming lower and lower and pushing you down um, even in a place like this we can give thanks and I don't mean to sound sentimental or naive but giving thanks even even if you don't really love this place naturally giving thanks can change the way we feel about a place Anne was talking about that. You know, she's talking about, I'm, I'm just a farmer's wife. And she's talking about how she's giving thanks as she's cutting vegetables for her children. She's a homeschool mom and a writer. And 
She spends a lot of time on her farm. Not like out in these amazing experiences in these far-flung places, but here at this kitchen table or on this kitchen counter, how she can be joyful as she's giving thanks, as she's cutting vegetables for the meal for her family. That sort of devotion, that sort of realization of God's goodness in that moment and the joy. If we will cultivate gratitude, it will crowd out the weeds of our life. The weeds of the shallow life, the life that I think I would be pretty tempted, I actually am pretty tempted towards, the kind of life we live too fast, where we plan too much, the self-absorbed, focus on the future, the stuff that we want and the stuff that we want to do. Thankful, this thankful way keeps us appreciating the present moment. It weeds out our uh, shallow life or the propensity, at least for some of you, maybe like me, for a shallow life where it's always about the future, it's always about getting more, planning more, doing more. You can weed that out. You can grow out the weeds of entitlement. And I'm an only child, and I, man, I wrestle with it. I feel like I'm still just growing. <laughs> um, giving thanks undoes our sense of entitlement that certain things in life are owed to us. When we are grateful for things, it makes us appreciate what we have. It's impossible to appreciate something and take it for granted at the same time. Think about that just for a second. It's impossible to appreciate something and take it for granted at the same time. You get the choice of one or the other. And I think unwittingly, it's really easy to take stuff for granted. It takes mindfulness. You have to think about it to appreciate it. And then when you do, you don't take it for granted anymore. I was reading Anne's book this morning, and she was talking about, there's actually a quote from Erasmus, who was, he lived at the time of Martin Luther, so uh, almost 500 years ago, actually about 500 years ago, talking about how it takes you a nail to drive out a nail. And his point was, you can't just pull out the nails of, of entitlement or the nails of shallowness. You have to drive them through the bottom with a nail of thankfulness. You have to drive in one nail to push the other nail out. So you can't just say, well, I'm going to stop being uh, entitled or I'm going to stop being uh, self-absorbed. You have to put in a practice of gratitude to push it out. And I think maybe this is the big one for us, is that gratitude can undo resentment. Gratitude undoes resentment for things in life that didn't work out, for pain, for losses, betrayals. When we're giving thanks, it pushes out those nails. When we're giving thanks to God for even tiniest things, it begins to slowly push out those nails. Without gratitude, we will view our not quite happy yet in life as betrayal. And our culture is constantly telling us, you are not quite happy yet. If you had this, or if you did that, then you'd be happy. Or you have to get by more or have more, and then you'll be happy. Our culture is constantly telling us this and then trying to sell us something that won't fill us. And that feeling of I'm not quite happy yet, we can begin to resent God for it. I'm supposed to be happy, Jesus. I'm supposed to be happy, God. Life more full, and I don't feel it, and I don't know if I trust you anymore. Gratitude is the nail that drives out that resentment. 
Without gratitude, we will feel our life is betrayal, and then we'll um, begin to see the things, the, the absences, and blame God. Give me thanks keep this resent, keeps this resentment at bay. See, it's true. God wants us to be happy. I believe that. But more than that, God wants us to be holy. And that's the thing nobody tells us anymore. God wants you to be happy, absolutely. But more than that, he wants you to be holy and he's willing to sacrifice your happiness for your holiness. In my experience, some of the best growth in my life has come through pain and loss. It's not that we can't learn from good things. It's just, I don't know if, if any of you are like me, I find I don't do very well. I, don't, I learn about a tenth of what I learn when things are hard. When things are good and things are easy, I take it for granted. It's not until things are hard that I begin relying on God and I grow. When we give thanks, even in loss, becomes rich soil for us to grow, even when things are difficult. And in the moment, you're thinking, this is horrible, and God, I just want out. And then in time, you're able to look back and see, like, God was using that and growing me in it. I know this sounds weird, especially uh, to the world around us, that we give thanks even in the middle of hard things. We don't give thanks for the pain, but for the good even in the midst of pain and the growth afterward that comes. This morning I want to encourage us to walk the faithful way. Today it's Thanksgiving. Um, It's in the name for today. But I want us to keep walking this thankful way tomorrow and Tuesday, the rest of this week. Keep walking in, keep walking this thankful way from here on out. In her book, Thousand Gifts, Anne talks about this journal she began keeping. Just writing down things that she was thankful for as they'd come. And they're simple things. Some of them I'm like, oh, I'm glad that you're thankful for that. That doesn't do it for me. But um, she just started writing it down. Or maybe even just giving God thanks, like just being mindful and praising God for things telling people, telling people around you, I'm grateful for you. I'm thankful for what you've just done. Thank you. This thankful way is a practice. You know, if we, all we do is leave it to the way we feel, it's, it's not going to help us much. <laughs> Maybe a little bit, but, but it's when we practice it, when we walk this thankful way, it changes us. I want this for us this new way of life, this thankful way of life for us. I want it to reconcile us to God, to move us closer to him, even when things are hard, even if there's things that still sit between us, things that we resent. I want it to reconcile us one to another, that our gratitude, that our gratefulness for each other, even those, we'll call them idiosyncrasies, we won't call them annoying or bad habits, we'll call them idiosyncrasies, that we thank God even for those things in each other. This giving thanks will reconcile us to Jesus, even more appreciating what he's done. That this morning, we would give thanks to God. Gratitude for who he is. Gratitude for what he's done. Even the tiniest things in our life. Happy Thanksgiving. Amen.